Do you want to become a better hockey player this summer with Paul Vincent Hockey? Since 1972, Paul Vincent, currently the head skills instructor of the Florida Panthers, has been developing NHL and college hockey players. Paul Vincent stands by his saying, there is always room for player development. Players such as Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taves, Keith Yandel, Matt Grizzlick, Patrick Sharp, Adam Oates, and many more have trained with Coach Vincent and his staff and have outstanding results. Join Paul Vincent this summer at one of his four Massachusetts locations, Canton, Saugus, Middleton, and Falmouth on Cape Cod. Registration is now open for 2022 camps. To reserve your spot today, go to pvhockey.com or call 978-807-4070. That's pvhockey.com or call 978-807-4070. Paul Vincent is ready to get back to work this summer. Are you? Welcome to New England Hockey Journal's Rink-Wise Podcast, the podcast for serious hockey players and their supporters to help further their development and navigate their way throughout their hockey careers. And now, here is your host, New England Hockey Journal's Kirk Ludicky. Welcome to the New England Hockey Journal Rink-Wise Podcast. I am your host, Kirk Ludicky, and we have a great show for you today with Ben Ferriero. He is coaching Top Gun Hockey, the 18 team, and he's doing a lot of skills work. But you may remember Ben from his time at Governor's at Boston College, and he was an NHL uh, player with San Jose, New York Rangers, had a storied pro career, did very well as an area player from Essex, and we, we're going to talk about coaching trends and things he's seeing and the things he's prioritizing when he works with young players. And then we'll talk to him about his career and how he came up through prep hockey, ultimately ended up at BC, won a national championship against Notre Dame, and then ultimately went on to play in the NHL and uh, played with some pretty outstanding players. We think you'll really like this one. My conversation with Ben Ferriero is happening today. I'm in studio and he is on Zoom and we appreciate you joining us. Welcome to Rinkwise and our special guest, Ben Ferriero of Essex, Massachusetts, formerly Governor's Academy, former Boston College, NHL. Uh, ben, welcome. Glad to have you. Great. Thanks, Kurt. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. So what are you doing now? Let's talk about your, your, your coaching, your, your doing skills development. Uh, let let the, the, the audience know where are you and what are you doing and, and what kind of an impact are you making in the, in the future generations for hockey and giving back to the game? So, um, so right now, I guess um, I'm coaching a U18 level Top Gun. Um, I'm running skills for our, our companies called Real Speed Sports. Uh, we run skills um, all summer and spring. And um, I run the New England Fall Prep Hockey League. So uh, make sure that the refs show up and the scorekeepers are on time and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, I've been around um, the prep school, I guess, hockey area since uh, I stopped playing five years ago now. Yeah, it's great. And I, mean, I had a chance to watch your, your Top Gun 18 team and that team certainly you know they had a good run I particularly enjoyed what you were able to do in the, in the playoffs weren't able to to go all the way in, in state but certainly some 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 guys that 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 stood out and one one player in particular that that since we're talking about that I want to ask you about because I've been watching him at, at KUA and uh, man it just looks like he he had a strong fall uh, at least that weekend I was watching and he's built on that and that's Matthew Malte um, how, how did 
did he do for you and, and what are your thoughts on, on his, his progression and how he looks as a player? Um, yeah, he, he's an awesome kid. I mean, a uh, Canadian kid, uh, from KUA, um, Oh four birthday, um, drafted by, I think by Lincoln as well. Right. Correct. Um, he's a, uh, he, he just kept getting better all fall. Um, he, he has great skills and he has a great shot and, um, he's a big kid. So he uses his body to his advantage and, um, he's still learning how to play the game. Um, I think, uh, playing against the O3s, uh, he played against bigger, stronger kids this fall. Uh, and he was still one of the, the hardest workers and stuff like that. So, um, you, you just see him keep getting better and better. And, um, that's just what you look for in kids. You, you don't always want the kid who is the stud right off the bat. You want the kid who just keeps getting better year after year. Um, and some kids plat- plateau a little early and, um, I don't know what it is, but you want the kids who want to be there, who work really hard, and you'll see that they'll keep getting better year after year. That's great. And so, so what are some of the, the, so that seems like some immediate feedback of things that you've picked up since you started coaching. You said you've been out of the game, you know, the pro as a player about five years now. So as, as a coach, you're, you're going to get better. You're going to learn year after year, but you know, between, between Malte and the other players you've been around, like what, what are some of the, the, the things that have really reinforced maybe perceptions that you had coming into it that, that have reinforced those beliefs that, that, that you had as you've been gotten more experience um. coaching. Uh, getting to getting to work and, and run skills over the summertime, I get to know the kids really well, working them with them on an individual basis and, and growing relationships like that. So you kind of understand where the kids come from, their background and stuff like that, and just to get to know them like that. And then um, we have a, we have a U15 Top Gun team. We have a U16 Top Gun team, which we just started. Um, Top Gun never had this before um, I finished up playing. So we just started this in the past four or five years uh, and it's grown and um, we started to to retain a lot of our higher end players and, and build it that way from within um, where we, we build the relationships with the kids during skills. Um, and you just see who really wants to be there, who keeps getting better. Um, and then they work their way through. And um, we know we know the kids pretty well by the time they get to uh, the U18 division. And uh, most of the time they like playing with each other. Um, and it's not just a whole bunch of random kids coming together for the fall. Um, so it makes it, um, it makes it fun. It makes it competitive. And um, um, our teams have been getting better and better. What are you looking for attributes? So anyone that's listening and it's like, okay, Top Gun, Salem, New Hampshire, but they don't really know a whole lot about it. Uh, what kind of attributes, what kind of players, what, what are the things you, that you uh, welcome in, in prospective candidates that want to work with you, you and your staff and, and be a part of your organization? Uh, I think first and foremost, you got to be willing to work hard. You got to be putting the, the time and effort to, uh, to become a better player. Um, um, and, and I think that's really starts. We, we try to put the kids on the right path, but then it comes down to them to put in the effort and work on their skills and, and work on the things that we teach them. Um, I guess one thing that we're always looking for is a smart hockey player, someone who understands the game, someone who understands where they're supposed to be on the ice and things like that. And it's not always about who can skate the fastest. Uh, you got to understand where to be and where the puck should be and stuff like that. So um, we try to teach the kids that as much as we can as well. Awesome. I mean, we just, it's funny. I, I'm chuckling. I had a podcast not too long ago. I was talking about a scout and he said, skating and hockey sense are the biggest things. And then the hockey sense is the play without the puck, you know, and that, that, you know, that unless you're Wayne Gretzky, Mario Lemieux, Connor McDavid, you know, you're typically not going to have the puck on your stick all that, all that much during the game. So really you got to focus on those habits and those things you're doing when you don't have the puck. 
Absolutely. I mean, I think they've done studies in the high and the best guys in the NHL are only have the puck on their stick for a minute and a half, two minutes, two and a half minutes during the whole game. So, I mean, yeah, you spend a lot of the game without the puck. Awesome. So let's, let's get to you and in, in, in your path. I mean, you, 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 know, you grew up uh, in the area, you know, played hockey at, at all levels. You ended up at governors. Uh, at what, at what point did you really feel like as you were, as you were coming up the ranks that you, you were going to have an opportunity to, to, to continue to climb the ladder that, that, that maybe, you know, college was going to be an option and, and, and even, even beyond what were some of the key gates you, you were able to get through where it started to come together for you? Um, I think, um, just probably my freshman year in high school. Um, it was a, pretty eye-opening I mean coming from playing against U14 kids going to play against 18 year old kids and the first couple of games um, it was definitely some getting used to but after that I I guess I kind of found my way and and realized that I could play with these guys and um, from there it was just about me putting in the time and effort like I said and getting better getting stronger working on my skills my shot and then um, come my sophomore year um, I started to really um, be able to dominate and against the prep school kids and I uh, started to gather some good, good college interest. And um, that's really when um, I knew that uh, I could take it to the next level. Was Boston College always kind of the, the school you were, you were looking at? Did you grow up as a, as a Boston College fan or did they come in and, and woo you? I remember I talked to Chris Kreider and he said he actually grew up a BU fan, uh, but he ended up at BC. So curious about your path and how you were recruited, who recruited you and how it all came together for you. Yeah, so um, my dad would always bring me into the bean pot. So I wanted to go to a school and be able to play in the bean pot every year. And so I guess that that kind of limited my options. Um, and with BC, BU, Harvard, um, Northeastern. So my recruiting, I guess, actually started uh, Providence College. was one of the first ones in the mix. And um, so we went on visits there and then uh, went on visits to BC. And um, I guess uh, – BC was the spot. Um, hmm. I had contact with BU as well. Um, it's kind of a funny story. A few other kids from my uh, my youth hockey team, like uh, Chris Bork, Brian McGurk, um, had commitments to go to BU. So I said, uh, let's go the opposite way. We'll play against them for four years, and I'll choose BC. So uh, Coach York was awesome, and um, and yeah, it just seemed like the right fit. Brian McGurk. Now there's a familiar name. Uh, let's see, where is he now? Oh yeah, Governors, right? So. It's funny how things come full circle. Yeah, Brian's a great guy. Uh, he works up uh, – he does a ton of work for Top Gun. He runs all the youth program for Top Gun, uh, works up at the rink, runs skills with me all summer. So I've known Brian since I've been a young kid and uh, still working with him today. Yeah, and, uh, you know, he, he – I was – knowing Owen Fowler from Tewksbury, who's a governor's product and is playing out in the USHL, he had mentioned, you know, just how instrumental, you know, cause Owen started out in Top Gun and uh, you know, he was in- mentioning how instrumental Brian was in his development oh, yeah. and his path. So good stuff. So let, tell me more about coach York and, and BC in general. So we've had a couple former Eagles on here, but what was your, what was your path like in terms of when you got to school, how ready were you to make that, that adjustment from, from playing prep hockey to, to being a student athlete and balancing your academics with the athletics and playing at such a high level in the hockey East. 
Um, yeah, so I, I went right from Govs to BC, um, no repeat. So I was a true freshman at uh, Boston College. So there was definitely an adjustment period. I didn't score a point in my first ten, my first ten games. I don't think I scored a goal until December, but I still finished up the my freshman year with sixteen goals or something like that. So there is a big adjustment period, um, stepping right in. But Coach York, I can't thank him enough. I mean, he gave me the opportunity. Um, he, I guess, he saw something in me. Um, to let me play as a freshman and also uh, coach Kavanaugh was one of the ones who uh, was the assistant coach there now head coach at UConn Um, he was coach of the forwards at the time so um, he gave me the chance and also it definitely um, something to do with timing Um, my year we had I think nine freshmen or something come in the same time Um, they had a bunch of people leave the year before I think Eads turned pro, um, so definitely uh, had an opportunity with um, some spaces to, to earn my spot now you, I'm going to go back to something you said because you said what you you hardly had any points in your first you know ten games. You only had one goal, and then you finished with 16. Take me, take us back to your mindset. I mean, how 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 did that impact you? Because you know you you had said you were you were a dominant uh, player at the lower levels. You always were a scorer, and uh, you know in prep once you figured that out, you, you, it came pretty quickly, and you and you were scoring. So was it was it something that you really had to? To, to, to wrestle with or was it was it a situation where you had faith that, that it would come um, just curious because a lot of players you know they, they they might not experience that at the lower levels and, and then all of a sudden when it happens you know what would you say to them to help them get themselves through that mentally um yeah I mean it's definitely tough I mean when you go through scoring droughts when you're supposed to be scoring it's it tough it's tough it it, it grades on you it it's mentally tough um, so yeah, it, it's not easy when you go through those spells, but my, my suggestion would be in the way I kind of got through it was make sure you do the other things, make sure you're solid defensively, make sure there's no reason for them to take you out of the lineup and stuff like that. Make sure you're playing all aspects of the game and contributing in other ways. So if you're not scoring, then you got to be able to do other things. So after not scoring for the first 10 games, I mean, it's definitely, it's hard on you. I mean, it's mentally, it's tough. And the way that you get around it, and I guess my suggestion to the other kids and younger kids going through it would be to make sure you contribute in some other way. You have, there's other ways you contribute besides scoring. Make sure you're solid defensively. Make sure you're um, making good passes in the D zone. Make sure you're assisting on plays. Make sure you're just contributing other ways. I mean, there's been guys who have made NHL careers who are not goal scorers. So, um, that's the one way that I, that I looked at it. And, um, when I got the opportunity to play in an offensive role later in the year, then, uh, took advantage of it. That's great. Uh, so one of your, you know, in the previous rink wise podcast episodes, we had Chris Collins, who was one of your, your BC mm-hmm. teammates. So just, he had talked about that too. And that, that, you know, when he first came on board in BC, uh, he was on a deep team and with a lot of veterans. And so his playing time was, was, you know, his role was, was, was on the lower lines and he had to really figure out how to, how to establish uh, himself as someone who could really uh, be value added. And, and then he said that was great for him. So, you know, as you, as you go back and you, and you reflect on that and the challenges of, of college, what are, what are some things that in looking back, maybe if you could have done differently, would you have done anything differently or do you feel pretty good about what you, what you accomplished and how things shook out for you in your, your first couple of years? Um, my, my college experience was great. I guess if I could 
could go back on one thing, I guess I would try to finish up my senior year differently. Um, we didn't make the NCAA tournament, and that's mm-hmm. the only thing that I can say that um, my first year we lost in the national championship game. My sophomore year we lost in the national championship game. My junior year we won the national championship, and then my senior year we didn't make the NCAA tournament. So if we made the NCAA tournament, that would have been, I guess, a good thing but it was an unbelievable spot for me to, to go to college and I stayed all four years and I think it was awesome yeah terrific and I remember that that championship you won and you know again that a championship you're you, you'll be you'll walk with those guys the rest of your life you know and then having had the opportunity to, to to win it all and raise that raise that trophy I just off the top of my head it was was it North Dakota you guys beat um, it was Notre Dame, actually. We Notre beat Dame, North okay. Dakota three years in a row to get to the national championship okay. game. So, uh, yeah, they uh, they they were um, one of our rivals for sure. Yeah, and yeah, so you were drafted, uh, drafted by Phoenix, and um, at the time, you know, the NHL was still kind of looking at draft. They tended to draft the bigger guys and. You know, they were looking for size and it was still it was still a little of that dead puck era that was so prevalent where big guys would just kind of clamp down and, and teams were looking to, you know, to have the, the, the biggest bodies necessarily, not the most skilled or smartest guy. You were kind of were away from that. Um, take us back to your draft season, what you think what happened that really you think was instrumental in, in, in you being a draft pick and then going on to be able to, to play in the NHL. Yeah. Um, well, I was a freshman at BC, so um, I think that had a lot had something to do with it. Uh, I got to play in college during my draft year um, and play against the older kids and get looks against the older kids. Um, so that had something to do with it, I think. Um, I scored as a freshman in college, so that was something to do with it. And um, Phoenix drafted me. Um, they went through, I don't know, some sort of bankruptcy and stuff like that. And um, it just didn't really seem like the right fit for me after college or after my junior year, I guess. Mm-hmm. So I stayed at school for, uh, for my senior year. And after my senior year, I became a free agent and um, had some free agent interest from there. Awesome. So, yeah, I, I mean, I go back to what you said, though, um, you know, just being being able to play in college your draft season what was your mindset like i mean you know i mean it's got to be hanging over you in the back of your mind hey this is my nhl draft season it's a big year so what are some of the things that that you looking back on it you were able to do that really positively helped you to to influence you to to be productive and to be that player um even if it wasn't the scoring that that you were given an opportunity to 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 be drafted because it's it's a huge accomplishment ben yeah, so um, I guess when I didn't score much the beginning of my career, so I was expected to kill penalties and do things like that and um, block shots and do stuff like that at, at the beginning of my year. So I, I was killing penalties to start, and um, I think that showed that I could play both ends of the ice. And then once I got the opportunity to play power play, and, and um, actually one of the names you already mentioned, um, uh, Chris Collins, um, I got to play with him um, about halfway through my freshman year. And uh, I think that had a lot to do with it as well. I think that was his Hobie Baker year uh, and um, putting up 50 points, something like that. So I got to play with Chris Collins and I got to play with Brian Boyle on the same line as a freshman and, and just fitting in and, and just contributing to that line was, was great. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt about it. Right. And that's why 
when we talk to younger kids, the ability to play on special teams is so important, but you have to earn it. You know, it's not, you know, everyone wants to be on special teams and you have to go out there and give the coaches a reason to put, put you in there. For sure. I mean, um, and like I kind of touched on before, there, there's a lot more to the game than just scoring. I mean, everyone has a little role in the team. Everyone does different things. Everyone plays the game a little differently. So you got to find your spot on the team and, and contribute any way you can. Awesome. So you stayed in school and, uh, and you said we, we talked about the disappointment of not making the tournament, but you were a national champion and you said the free agent interests, you know, again, when, when it was time for your, your eligibility to be done and, and, and you're looking at moving on. Uh, how did that, uh, how did your, the process in terms of, of your path to, to, to professional hockey and making the decision to, to sign with San Jose, how did that all kind of come to fruition for you? Um, so after, uh, I guess after my season ended, um, I had some interest to go play in, um, the minor league, some on a professional tryout somewhere, somewhere after somewhere. I'm not even, I don't even remember where it was, honestly. Um, I kind of just skipped out on that, finished up and got my degree. And then, uh, after that, uh, there were a few teams that came in the mix in the summer. Um, uh, but, uh, San Jose Sharks were, um, very interested uh got to sit down and meet with tim burke and um he's a local north northeast north shore guy Mm -hmm. and um just speaking with him um i it felt like me that was the right fit and um went from there yeah melrose you know great and and unh tim burke um what a storied career he's had in hockey at, at multiple levels, but no, most notably for his work, really building that San Jose franchise uh, over the years. With you know, as as the director of scouting primarily, and now as the assistant GM. It's funny, another previous Rinkwise podcast guest was your old San Jose teammate Tori Mitchell, and he had some he had some fun anecdotes about about Mr. Burke Berkey. Um, but curious, what your impression is that you know here you are you're uh, you, you you're finishing up your college career so what kind of you know what was what was key to San Jose really appealing to you Ben in terms of your decision to say you know what this is this looks right and this is what I want to do this is where I want to go um I think really that I was going to get an opportunity to come in and and make the NHL team um they had they were really I guess um they had some really high-end players, so they didn't have too much cap room. Um, so some guys from the some younger guys were going to have to step in and play on that team and make that team. Um, so that opportunity and the way that Tim spoke to me and the way I guess the interview went, um, it just felt um, comfortable. I mean, a lot of guys were really intimidated and by by Berkey, and I don't know. We we just seemed to click right off the bat, and it just seemed like a right fit for me. Yeah, uh, did did now. Uh, Mitch, he said something about uh, had some prospects. They heat some prospects camps he ran locally over the summer um, to get you guys ready before you even went uh, to participate in the formal rookie rookie camps out with 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 the San Jose organization. Were you ever a part of any any of those? And 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 how did so, that go um, for you? <laughs> so I've heard I've heard stories about some of these. I was um, I will say lucky enough that I didn't sign until after my senior year. So. I was going right into training camp and I didn't really have the chance to hit those first couple. Uh, I didn't sign until too late where I missed those, uh, oh, those okay. summer sessions. So I did, I was involved in a few of the actual San Jose Sharks rookie camps and those were pretty intense. 
but I was not involved in this stuff before. Okay. Well, fair enough. So let's talk about that. I mean, you, you, you went to San Jose at a time when Joe Thornton was in his prime and, you know, Patrick Marlowe and like, these were really kind of the best years of, uh, you know, of the San Jose Sharks as they were really, you know, building, a, a, themselves into a model franchise. So what were your first impressions going in? You know, you, we talk, you talk about your very first rookie camp, your first training camp experience. Um, what, what did it look like to you and, 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 um, what really stood out to you in, in terms of how that organization was run compared to what you had experienced before? Um, just coming into the locker room and seeing those guys was honestly pretty intimidating. I mean, growing up as a, from Boston, I watched Joe Thornton my whole entire life. And then being on the same team as him was, was pretty intimidating the first time seeing him, but Joe is the nicest guy. And that's one of the, what are the best things about that team were is, I mean, you had Joe Thornton, you had Rob Blake, you had Patrick Marlowe, who are some of the nicest guys in hockey. And then they welcomed me in with open arms. So that was really nice of them and made the transition much easier than it could have been. Yeah, it's, t- it's tough, right? Because as a young player, the veterans know there's always someone, you know, that's trying to, you know, to take a job, to establish themselves and to stay here, right? And so sometimes you're not going to get that that welcoming, you know, and, and that's the, that's life, you know, that, and that's, that, that's whether that's hockey or maybe some other situation in, a, in another job. New England Hockey Journal's RinkWise podcast will return after this message. Catch the Sacred Heart University Pioneers on the ice this season. The Pioneers Division I men and women's hockey programs will not disappoint. Season ticket packages and individual tickets are on sale now at sacredheartpioneers.com. And opening in 2023, Sacred Heart University's Martiri Family Arena, a brand new 122,000 square foot premier skating facility in Fairfield, Connecticut. Learn more at sacredheartpioneers.com. Are you serious about playing your sport in college? Do you need a flexible education that allows you to maintain your practice and competition schedules while also preparing you to succeed at the next level? You should check out the University of Nebraska High School. UNHS is accredited and offers more than 100 online courses, including NCAA-approved courses to protect your academic eligibility. Students could earn a UNHS diploma or take a single course for transfer credit. Courses are college prep, self-paced, and available 24-7, 365. Enroll anytime and take up to a year to complete a course. Visit highschool.nebraska.edu today. Do you want to skate fast? For 50 years, Laura Stam instructors have taught youth players to pros how to skate correctly, powerfully, and fast. Players who attend Laura Stam power skating programs learn how to skate fast by learning how to execute every maneuver in hockey. They become powerful, stable, efficient, and explosively fast skaters. If you can't wait for a clinic, join our subscription skills video service and we'll show you the skills taught at our clinics in an easy-to-use video format with training plans to guide your training. Register or subscribe now at laurastam.com. That's L-A-U-R-A-S-T-A-M-M.com. You can learn to skate fast. (sighs) 
overall, who were some of the guys that really helped you and, and, and helped you be successful as a pro to be able to, to play at the, at that highest level and to have success in the, in the other pro leagues that you were able to play in? Yeah. I mean, I guess you look just starting from there, Joe Thornton. I mean, you look at him the way he comes to the rink every day. I mean, he's played in the NHL for 20 something years now. That's impressive. Just right there, being able to keep your body in that type of shape for that long and play for that long. But then you have Patrick Marlowe is one of the nicest guys in hockey. You have Rob Blake and any of these guys would be willing to drag you to the rink and do whatever they can to help you. But there's definitely, um, those are the high end guys. There's definitely guys who, I was fighting with and every or the veterans, like you mentioned, who are fighting down the end of the roster who aren't so welcoming sometimes. So you touched on that a little bit before. So there definitely are both spectrums. You know, I, I was talking to someone who was involved in, and, um, you know, with, with the San Jose organization at one point, they, they had some interaction with Joe Pavelski. He said that what makes Pavelski so great is how inquisitive he is. Uh, how much he wants to learn about the game, even though he's one of the top performers, he was always um, just wanted to, you know, pick the coach's brains as much as possible to get better. And one of the things he pointed out that he did was he spent a lot of time with the goalie coaches and and the goalies, um, which I think is fascinating because to me, yeah, if you if you want to be a scorer, a consistent scorer, what better way? Uh, it's just like Sun Tzu, right? Know thy enemy as you know yourself and you'll be victorious in a thousand battles, right? So um, anyway, that, that did you see, did you notice that from, from Pavelski and, and when, when you Absolutely. were on the team? Absolutely. So, I mean, he was always, work, just like you said, working, shooting on the goalies, um, working on scoring, little scoring things around the net, stuff like that. Um, and I think on he has to have the best hand-eye coordination of anyone that I've seen. I mean, tipping pucks and just so particular and not missing anything. And then, I mean, he's a scratch golfer too. So, I mean, his hand-eye coordination is pretty special. Did you have any, are there any, like, just, do you have any recollections of just some of the things that you saw? Because the NHL is just like the, the ability. I think for, you know, average, like I've, I've played in beer leagues with, with former pros and, and they're like on a whole nother, and we're talking guys that were, you know, maybe East coast, you know, East coast league or maybe Southern professional league. Um, but they are like on a whole nother level from everyone else. So when you talk about the NHL, you know, you're going in and you're seeing some of the things these guys can do. Is there anything skills or, or, or things that you had that you saw that you witnessed from players that were just like, to you just even raise the bar even more than I'm sure you knew it was going to be as, at that level? I mean, it's, yeah. Uh, you got some guys who can just shoot the puck from nowhere. Um, it's just on their stick and then it's off their stick in no time. You have some guys that can just skate, start from a dead stop and be full speed in, in one stride. And then you just have some things that uh, just you don't expect to be that big, that strong. Like I, I thought I was pretty skilled, but everyone is just as skilled as me. And then you have guys who are now six five, two hundred and twenty pounds, who can skate just as fast, who can shoot just as hard, and are just that much bigger as well. So that was a big thing for me. Is just the the size. Everyone's much bigger. There was and being at six five, they can still play the game. They can still shoot stick handle, do all that stuff. That was a big change for me. 
Right. So what did you have to do? Like, like what was your, how did, you know, what was your, what's your mindset once you went up against the guy that was much bigger and stronger and he closes you out or maybe he ends your, your progress, you know, down the wing and, and ends that play along the wall. Like, what do you have to do to, I mean, imagine you have to really kind of reassess what you're doing and your strategy and your routes and all those things. And what, what, how did you get around that in order to be able to, to continue to, to stick as opposed to being, Someone where maybe they said, "Oh, uh, he's just—he's not going to figure it out," and they you know, sent you down, and you never got another opportunity. Definitely. Um, the, well, I, what I learned really fast is you have to think the game and process the game extremely fast if you're going to be a smaller guy in the NHL. You need to understand where the puck needs to be two steps ahead. You need to understand where you need to be two steps ahead. If you're just thinking about what you're going to do with the puck next when you're touching the puck, you're in trouble. So you need to be far ahead and thinking the game and processing the game extremely fast. Okay, so yeah, fair enough. Now let's let's take it to the next level. What about the coaching you got? I mean, Todd McClellan just registered, I think it was his 500th career uh, NHL win. Very impressive. Um, you, know, you, you played for one of the greats in, in Jerry York. He said Mike Cavanaugh was an assistant, and he's now head, head coach. I mean, what? What kind of impacted the coaching you received at those levels? How did that really help you to to, to continue to move forward? Yeah, um, Jerry York started it all off for sure. Um, he put it. He shows you the right way to do things. There's no corners cut. I mean, you show up every day. He's positive. He's ready to go. He's prepared. Um, so Jerry York shows started it all off. Going from there, playing for uh, Todd McClellan. He's an intense guy. He's ex- you're expected to do everything perfect, be on time, be early, be everything needs to be eyes, T's, eyes dotted, T's crossed. And he's an intense guy. And then I got to play for Roy Summer, who's the American league coach. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been there for thousands of games by now. He's an awesome guy. I loved Roy. He was um, really instrumental in, I think, developing as a pro. I'm just showing you how to go about things, the way to do things and always doing it for fun. And then I got to move on and play for, uh, John Hines, another really intense guy, and then got to play for Travis Green, who was um, head coach in Vancouver for a while. Got to play for Paul Torella, who's another another really intense guy, Olympic coach. So I got to play for a whole bunch of different people and just see all the different, um, I guess, ideas and the way they do things. And um, I guess I kind of try to put the best of what I feel, and and that's the way I coach my teams. And I think I guess another thing that that benefited me is when I was in. The, I got sent up and down quite a few times from the minors to pro. So when I was coming down from pro, I, the coaches in the minor league team would ask what's going on up there, some of their systems and stuff like that. So I would be able to to just, I guess, tell them what's going on up there and explain to them a few things. So I think that helped my understanding um, of the game and, and things like that. So I'm interested in the in, in interested talking about the practices. Uh, and just it just the differences at the, at the various levels and 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 what you really learned the most from and, and what you saw. Yeah, I mean, so the practices at the NHL level are extremely competitive, and they're almost harder than the games sometimes. I mean, uh, you're playing. When I was in San Jose, I was playing against all these future, I guess we'll say Hall of Famers, Olympians, and stuff like that. So. When I wasn't at my best, I mean, I was in trouble. So coming to practice every single day, and then you had to do it for however 30 minutes or 60 minutes, however however long the practice was. I mean, during the games, I'm only getting to play 10, 12 minutes. So 
practices were tough and they were intense and you were expected to do everything right and 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 not miss pucks and and be on time and just know what you're supposed to do right and were there any were there any particular coaches that where you look you know looked at the practices the practice habits and and you can say that you really genuinely adopted a lot of that those methods and techniques in your own coaching these days uh yeah todd mcclellan i think runs uh, a, a really fast paced hard practice there's no time wasted there's very little time on the board um there's very little time between drills all the time that you're on the ice is spent actually doing something there's no wasted time so he would be quick every single practice would be we didn't have much time during the year honestly so it'd be 30 40 minutes but there was no time wasted and and they were hard and and you were tired at the end of them Right. What what's been interesting? Looking at the Boston Bruins, for example, uh, this year, you know, because of COVID, they've had these in in the in the weirdness of the schedule, which was because of the Olympic uh, pause that was built in. The Bruins had a lot of practice time at the beginning of the year that they wouldn't typically get. But then the idea was they were going to get into their their game, the meat of the schedule, and it's like what you're talking about, where there just aren't many practices and they're quick and they're really just. You know the ideas for maintenance, but because of their their COVID outbreak, they had this other mini mini camp almost to speak, where they went sixteen games without without or days without a game, and they were practicing. So, from your perspective as a former pro looking at that, what do you think that something like that does uh, for a team? And does that really build in an advantage for you know an unanticipated you know benefit to you know yeah they had to put a pause on their game schedule, but did that you know do you think that might have really helped them get on the right track here after the pause? Um, uh, it's tough to say. I mean, it definitely helps building a team at the beginning of the season to get some more practice time in and make sure all your systems are right and, and stuff like that. But as you said, I mean, with the COVID, I'm sure they were missing guys all the time. I'm sure they couldn't put their full team out and, and practice special teams and do all that stuff. So I'm sure that was tough. And then later down in the year, they're going to be packed with games. So, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it could be good and it also could hurt them in the end maybe. Um, but definitely getting to be able to practice more and, and training camp is pretty fast in the NHL. It's not too long. So, uh, being able to get a few extra practices in at the beginning of the year definitely is beneficial. Uh, I love it. So let's talk about some of the milestone, your own, your own personal milestone. So I was going back, I was trying to think back first NHL goal, you know, it only happens one time. Um, and, and for you, it happened. So can, let's take a trip down memory lane and, 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 and reminisce a little bit, you know, how, how did it happen? What were the circumstances? Maybe if you can remember what you were, you were thinking the play and, and, and just how it all came together. Cause it was pretty special for, as I recall. Yeah. Um, second NHL game in Anaheim, California. Um, play was, I was playing with, I was playing on the fourth line with, um, Fraser McLaren and I can't remember the other, it might even have been Tori Mitchell to tell you the truth. So, but, uh, anyways, it was a, a pass up the wall, um, shot from the D man rebound came right to me and put it through a five hole. Um, so I was like, wow, that's pretty easy. And then, uh, I think I only scored one goal the rest of the year. So, <laughs> yeah, but what goes, you know, when you, when you reflect back on that and you, you think about all the people that helped you get there, you know, um, parents and coaches and teammates and mentors, you know, like what, what, when, at what point did that hit you? You know, you know, because again, in the moment, you know, you've got the, you've got the adrenaline, you're focused on the game. 
Uh, and do you put in, and, and is there any thought of, oh my, what a relief, you know, second NHL game. I've got, you know, I've got the goal. I don't have to, I don't have to chase this and the, and the doubts don't have to creep in. Yeah. I mean, uh, my parents are obviously, um, from the start, pushed me through, um, coaches, uh, early on in my playing career, youth coaches and things like that. Um, coaches going through just the opportunity, um, I guess the Sharks organization for the opportunity to play in the NHL. Um, it wasn't really too big. I was a, I was very excited to score my first goal, but honestly, at that point, I was just trying to stick there and just trying to stay in the NHL. So I was excited that I scored, but I was just trying to figure out any way that I could possibly stay in the NHL at that point. Uh, great point. Cause that's, that's something I've heard over and over. And it's, it's one thing to get to the NHL, but it's another thing to, to stay there. So what, you know, what are the things you have to do to stay there? Yeah, just, I mean, you gotta be willing to do whatever it takes, I guess. You, um, whatever the team is asked of you, it's, it's not always fun. I mean, it's not fun blocking shots. It's not, it's not fun getting broken bones and stuff like that, but it, you just do what you gotta do. And, just find a way to be a part of a team. I mean, um, some guys need to fight. Some guys need to score. Some guys need to play defense. It just, it is what it is. You find your role and, and you just try to contribute any way you can. So looking back and you look back on your, your professional career, um, what were some of the, the highlights, the, the spots, your, your, your memorable spots and favorite places to play things that where you really felt like there was a great team culture, um, individual, I mean, we've talked about you, the, the litany of, of, of hall of famers and, and high level players you played with in San Jose, but were there any other locations and teams you were on where you really look back and, and, and really enjoyed that experience? Um, yeah, I mean, getting, getting the chance to play a few games for the Rangers was awesome. I mean, growing up being a Bruins fan and then getting to play in Madison square garden was awesome. Um, I wasn't there for too long, but once again, they, they, they welcomed me in and, and they, I guess, made me feel like a part of the team as short as there. And then, um, getting to play in Vancouver, um, that's just a whole different atmosphere playing up there in Canada. was pretty cool. Um, but then we had a great group of guys, uh, in Utica, um, Travis Green was the coach there when, uh, when I was there, um, he brought us all together as a team. It was the first year, uh, that Utica had a team in there. Um, so it was really fun. The building was full every night in the AHL. Um, so it was really fun for us to play in an atmosphere like that in the minor leagues. So, um, it, yeah, I mean, I had, I had a great pro, pro career. I mean, I have no complaints. I enjoyed where I was at and, and it was fun. Yeah. Nah, tell us more about the fan experience, right? Because you, you, you played in San Jose, you played in Vancouver. What's the? They're both on the West Coast, but I imagine they're they're you know pretty pretty different when you when you you compare the experiences. So how was that for you? The fans in San Jose were crazy. I mean, San Jose isn't really known as a as a I guess as a hockey town, but every single game was sold out. There was more jerseys in San Jose than anywhere else in the league. I feel like every single guy, every single person in there had a jersey on. And um, we would always, there would be blackouts, there'd be whiteouts, and it was just a really cool place to play. And then Vancouver was obviously sold out every single game as well, but a little different group of fan base. Um, they wouldn't show up till halfway through the first, stuff like that. So San Jose was fun. They, they were crazy, and um, they, they were sold out every day. Yeah. So you're, when, you're, when you're looking at guys like, you look at someone like Joe Thornton, who was a big part of your time in, in San Jose, and... He's still there. He's still in the NHL. 
you know, and, and you said 20 some odd years. I mean, he's been in the league since 1997 was his first his first season in Boston. And you think about what you were doing in 1997, but I can tell you, I was, I was over in Europe uh, doing peacekeeping for the army. But, and when the, when Joe Thornton got drafted and I stayed up all night, like, like the draft because of the, the difference in time, um, you know, we were, it was like middle of the night over there when the draft happened. And I was excited because the Bruins had the first overall pick. And so I, I watched it. Um, but when you think about that and you think about what where he is now and how he's still going, what are the things that, that that you really attribute that to? I mean, beyond the obvious, his size and his skill, but what are the things that have allowed Joe Thornton, you think, to be the, the player he is to continue to do it so long? Uh, it's, it's really impressive. I don't know. I, don't, I couldn't even play now, so I don't know how he's doing it eight years later, eight years older than I am or whatever, something like that. So I, he takes care of takes good care of his body. He knows what his body needs, make his body feel good on a regular basis. And that's, that's one of the toughest parts. I mean, it's a grind and to be healthy year after year, like he is, I mean, he has to be doing something right. Right. And you know, when he got to the, when he got to the Bruins as a rookie, I can remember uh, stories about him, you know, going to Dunkin' Donuts before practices and his, his breakfast being a couple donuts, right? So he learned and I think that gets back to what you were saying at the beginning. And it's a great way to kind of, as we as we wrap this up, we'll come back full circle to what we talked about at the beginning when you were talking about Top Gun and coaching and what you know and what you would you would tell players. And that's just commitment, right? And 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 for people who think they're going to play hockey at a at a high level, but do all this other stuff, you, know, you probably got to rethink that. Like if the game matters to you. And you really want to play, you want to be a D1 player and you want to have a chance to be a pro. You, it's, a, it's a holistic, complete approach to, to it and you have to be committed and dedicated. Yeah, it's a lot of work and it's not always fun. I mean, you're doing things that you don't want to do sometimes. I mean, well, let's just start with the weight room. Sometimes you don't want to do the last set of squats. Well, you probably should do it. Well, you don't want to do the last set of sprints. Well, you probably should do it. Um, it's just the commitment who's willing to go that little extra effort. And, um, it's meant to be fun though. So you have to enjoy all this. It can't be, it can't be a job. You, you have to want to get up every single day and make yourself a better hockey player or else you're just not going to get better. Yeah, it's great. Um, so as we, as we address some of the people that are listening and they want to be players, uh, what are some of the, are you seeing any trends in, in, in the younger guys you're working with that are coming up? Are you seeing things that maybe they're doing that, that you think are good or maybe things that maybe they should av- avoid? Um, just curious in terms of their, their, I mean, imagine their skating and their skills are so much better than when you were coming up because it's, it's all about availability and, and they can get on the ice year round and they're specializing in hockey at younger ages. But is there anything you would tell them to, Hey, you really need to, you know, if you, you know, if you're going to do this, these are the kinds of things you need to be focusing on now. And I, and I direct this comment maybe at the 10, 11, 12 year olds that are really now starting to get serious about, Hey, maybe I could you know, play hockey at a higher level. Yeah. um, Definitely. Like you said, the skating and skill level has gone up since I've been, since I was 12 years old, uh, for sure. Kids are faster. Kids can shoot the puck better. There's obviously better technology through hockey and stuff like that, but the skill level and the skating and that stuff has, has gone up. Um, But what I would say to, I guess the younger kids is um, just listen to your coaches that they they look, they know what they're doing. Most of them should know what they're doing. 
and um, listen to what they say and um, do as much as you can to incorporate what they're telling you into your game. So whether it might be something minute or they're an inside edge, something about how you turn on your inside edge, just listen to what they have to say and, and try to incorporate it into your game. And um, just work hard every single day. You have to keep getting better because you got to think there's some kid out there shooting pucks today when you're not. And as, as much as it sounds, there's one kid who's going to get better today. And there's one kid who's going to stay the same. And the kid who's going to keep getting better and better is the ones who are going to get the opportunity later on in life. I mean, at 10 years old, goals, assists, uh, that doesn't mean anything. No one cares. No one's watching. I mean, you should be working on your skating, your stick handling, your shooting, um, stuff like that. I mean, we talked about it a little bit earlier. I mean, kids at 10 and 11 years old playing 60 something games. I mean, they're probably on the ice for 15 minutes and when they could just have a practice and be on the ice for 60 minutes. So, um, the kids really have to want to be there as well. Um, it can't just be the parents forcing them to go to the rink. The kids have to enjoy it. And you can see the kids that do enjoy it. They're happy to be there. They love being on the ice. And those are usually the kids that keep getting better year after year. Fantastic. I couldn't think of a better way to wrap this up uh, with that. That is a that is an exclamation point uh, on, you know, an issue. I think it's it's something people struggle with, like, you know, practices versus games. You talk about kids that are, you know, they spend the whole summer playing these showcases and these events and these tournaments. And look, it's good. Summer hockey, it's good. You're you're skating, you're playing, you're competing, you're getting better. But are you getting better in terms of learning how to play the right way? You know, and so I love to hear it when you say listen to the coaches because situational hockey, that's a part of hockey sense as far as I'm concerned. You know, I used to, when I would scout uh, in junior hockey, I'd, I'd watch coaches screaming at players from the bench to direct them as to where to stand you know, on the face-off. And I'm saying to myself, they should know this. They're probably running some kind of set player. If they don't have a lot of set plays, then he should know where he's supposed to be. The coach should not be, you know, directing that. And smart players dedicated players they understand that and they they get those details pretty early on so it's yeah it's been it's uh it's great to hear it it's great to hear that message reinforced because you uh you've seen a lot of different different players coaches you've played at the highest levels and now you're imparting your wisdom and your experiences and i can think of nothing better than to give back so ben you know i i commend you for the work you're doing yeah, it's it's fun. I mean, I, I enjoy working with the kids um, and it makes my job even better when I have like a really nice group of kids who want to show up to the rink every single day and work hard. And I guess that's kind of our job to pick those kids. And then when we have a nice a group group, a group of kids like that, it it's just makes everyone's job easier and makes the kids games playing games more fun. I mean, it just makes life easier. So um, having kids who actually want to be there rather than be forced to be there by the parents is, is huge. Awesome. Well, that is a great place to end it again uh, for New England Hockey Journal Rinkwise podcast. Kirk Ludicky with Ben Ferrio. Uh, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for your time today, Ben, and, and good luck in 2022 and beyond. Hey, Kirk. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Awesome. Same here. That was my conversation with Ben Ferrio. A lot of insights into coaching, into his experiences as a player, and some really good advice for, for players out there and even parents that are trying to navigate the challenges of climbing the ladder of hockey. Until next time, uh, we will see you at the rink. 
Thanks for listening to New England Hockey Journal's Rink Wise Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other podcast platforms. Follow us on Twitter at NE Hockey Journal, on Instagram and Facebook at New England Hockey Journal, and subscribe to New England Hockey Journal online at hockeyjournal.com. New England Hockey Journal's Rinkwise is a Siemens Media Podcast.